Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your son. We thank you for giving us these words. Would you tune our hearts to them tonight? Cause our eyes to see you more clearly and help us receive anew and afresh you, Lord Jesus, as we prepare to celebrate your birth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And on this final Sunday of Advent, I want to welcome up Laura White. She is our next inter- and final interviewee for, uh, of sharing our stories of St. Bart's. So everybody, welcome Laura. How are you? Good. Okay. Come on up here. You have to stand in the light. I think... is. There, that's perfect. We're in the light. Welcome. Oh, wait, I have questions, and I should have them memorized by now, but I don't. Laura, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. How did you end up at St. Bart's? Sandra, uh, my brother Lloyd, as you all know him, because he's the dude in the wheelchair, uh, has known Sandra for 15 to 20 years, and she had kept on asking us if we would come and come, and I had kept on telling her I hadn't found a church, and so we finally came. And that's how we got here. Wonderful. Okay. So thank you, Sandra. Uh, Secondly, what has God done in you, in your life, since you've been here at St. Bart's? Well, Lloyd has never. Lloyd's never known God. And this is something we were raised, and there's five of us kids, and all of us, including our parents, have felt God in church and have known and have known him and have felt the Holy Spirit. But Lloyd never has, to the point that he had always questioned even he existed hmm. until we came here. Hmm. And and as you know, he was baptized earlier this year, and this has been a large prayer of all of ours in the family, including our mother, a very mm-hmm. big prayer of our mother, and I'm sorry, I'm crying, but, <laughs> but um, it's, it's very meaningful to us. I mean, Chris and Jay are great. They, the the way the word, they, they tell everything, and it, and it comes across, and it's a blessing. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you to share. So what... Uh, as we've been experiencing Advent, we've been acknowledging the ache of life and the difficulty of life. What word or phrase would you share with anyone out there that's feeling discouraged or just up against it in this season of Advent? The only way to find, ever find peace in life, to deal with any anger that we might have, because when we don't have God in our life, we have anger. 
and it only gets worse and it turns into horrible, ugly hatred. And the only way that we can ever get rid of the ache and the hurt and the ugliness and the anger is through God. And we need God in our lives. And so many people are clueless to that. And I wish I had one sentence to sum it up, but I really don't. Yeah. Other than we truly need God in our life. Hmm. We need God. And without him, we are nothing. Yeah, that's true. We're Jesus ugly. said that. <laughs> we are very ugly. Hmm. And lastly, what does St. Bart's mean to you, Laura? It means friendship and love and compassion. And there's a community here that I've never in my life experienced in, in all the churches that I have gone through. And I have gone to, not through, but to <laughs> quite a few in my life. <laughs> Many different denominations, too. Yeah. Um, I've tried them all, but I finally found home here. Yeah. And uh, there is a, a love in this church that it's not only with Chris and Jay. It's with every one of you. You can feel it. Huh. And when you come in this sanctuary, when you're all together, even when you're at a pastorate, you can feel it. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Let's pray for Laura. Stay, stay here, we're going to pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for Laura and for Lloyd. Thank you for the ways that you have encountered them in fresh and new ways in their lives, through Sandra's relationship with them, through your word and Holy Spirit and sacrament and people. Um, we pray that you would continue to bring blessing to them, continue to bring transformation and healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Bless you. Everybody give a round of applause. Well, thank you so much, Laura. We've had everyone, or everyone, we've had these past four weeks of interviews because we want you to see and encounter what we see and encounter when we have coffee with you or when we visit at your house or whatever. And it's, Chris and I don't want to hog these experiences and these stories to ourselves. We want you to experience them as well. And that's, that's a deep and meaningful part of being the body of Christ, is really knowing each other, knowing our stories. Tonight, we come to a moment that is really beautiful. And Laura mentioned the word peace. And that's, as I was praying tonight and getting ready for the sermon, and you know that I always have lots of words, there was one word that really settled in on me, and it was peace. We know that Jesus came to bring peace. And that can look like all sorts of things. That can look like the absence of conflict and the absence of war and the absence of, of uh, unsettledness and all of that sort of thing. But, but the idea of peace in the Bible is like is the word shalom. And that means a, a wholeness or completeness. And you might use the word perfect but perfect also falls short because perfect implies that we can accomplish it, given my uh, recent self-diagnosis as a perfectionist. We can't accomplish God's peace without him. He has to be instrumental in giving us his peace. So tonight on this final Sunday of Advent, I hope you feel God's peace. I hope you, as you are going into Christmas, you can recognize that. And it's interesting tonight, as we look at all the lessons, there's a main theme. I don't know if you saw it or if you heard it as it was coming through while the lessons were being read, but this main theme was prophesied by Isaiah beautifully. The virgin shall conceive. That's the sign. He will be Emmanuel. 
he will be a son of David. We hear the apostle St. Paul speaking of Jesus' lineage, both son of God, testified and attested to by his resurrection, and also a son of David. And Matthew is situated between them chronologically, both testifying backwards to Isaiah, quoting Isaiah directly, as Matthew does, to demonstrate to the Jewish people in particular that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's qualified to be so. So Matthew looks back at Isaiah, but Matthew also looks forward to Paul, who gives us that post-Pentecost snapshot of who Jesus is. But I hope that while we were reading those beautiful lessons, you did not get the psalm, did not get lost to you. In this season of Advent and Christmas, there's so much noise around. I I feel it, you feel it, we all feel it. And it's hard to remember what's the true thing, the true reality. And the psalm, interestingly, tonight can speak to that true reality. Now, we would gloss over it if we just looked at the first few verses, but look at verse 7 in your bulletin. It's on page 4, Psalm 24, 7. It says this, and this is actually a liturgy. This is a little liturgy inside the psalm, and it might have been written for when they would bring the ark into the temple at the dedication of the temple. And so you would have one group saying, lift up your heads, O gates, lift them high, O everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. So these people bringing the ark in, and people at the door could say, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And then again, calling back, lift up your heads, O you gates. So this, this liturgy begs this question, and the question is this, who is he, this king of glory? Who is he? Tiny baby lit up in a manger scene? Well, the psalmist tells us he's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts. So he's El Gibor, God the warrior. He's the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, the king of glory. And the answer to this question tonight, who is he, this king of glory, is He is the son of God. He is the son of David who takes away the sins of his people. So if you hear nothing else tonight, he is the son of God. He is the son of David who takes away the sins of his people. As we celebrate Christmas here Tuesday night with pageant and songs and a little warmer temperature and candles it's going, to be, it's going to be wonderful and amazing. We're celebrating the Son of God, the Son of David, who takes away the sins of his people and the sins of the world. But we'll stay with Matthew's language. First of all, Jesus is the Son of God. Look at Matthew 1, verses 18 and 20. It's on page 5 in your bulletin. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you stop right there and you hear that who caused the conception of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. God. So he's son of God. Skip ahead to verse 20. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, mark that, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. It is difficult to prove with modern science that the Holy Spirit somehow conceived in Mary's womb a baby who had become Jesus. It's something that we have to hear and we have to believe. So it's easy for our skeptical eyes, our modern and our postmodern eyes, our anti-meta-narrative eyes to hear that and say, well, perhaps. But Jesus is the Son of God. Who is this King of glory? Who is he who made the whole earth and everything in it? Who is he who called to himself a people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's the son of David who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the son of God. And as Matthew is telling us the story, he's not so much telling us about the birth of Jesus. Do you notice the difference between Luke's account of Jesus' birth and Matthew's account? If you were sitting down to tell a bedtime story, whose would you pick, Matthew's or Luke's? Luke's is very, it's detailed, it's quaint, it's perfect for a pageant, see Tuesday night, all those things. Matthew's is more like the origin story. Like where did this, where did this pre-eternal hero come from? It's a lot like the story of the origins of Moses. So Matthew is telling us both his lineage divinely, he's the son of God, but also his lineage humanly. Just before this origin story, Matthew has told us Jesus' entire uh, genealogy. He's gone down through the generations. And so here, we see that Jesus is the son of David, and thus the Messiah. What is the big deal with being the son of David? Well, David was the king. He was the king who finally could come in and rule righteously, who finally could shepherd his people He was the king who was a worshiper, who was a prophet, who was a psalmist. He was the the king. And so the son of David would be the anointed one, the Mashach, the Messiah. And so Jesus, because he's son of David, he is Messiah. Look at verse 20 there as the angel speaks to Joseph. But as he considered these things in a dream, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, who? Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David. We heard in Isaiah as he was proclaiming that prophecy in Isaiah 7, he was speaking to the house of who? David. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And there are two things, two paternal actions that Joseph took in response to the angel's message. Now, he could have been very upset because all of a sudden, his wife is pregnant. They're engaged. They're going to be married. But something has happened. All of a sudden, she is pregnant and with child. He could be very, very upset, but he's not. He doesn't divorce her, Scripture says, because he's noble, because he's an honorable man. In those days, she could have been, this is awful to say, she could have been stoned or killed, but Joseph did not want to do that. 
He, he wanted to divorce her quietly, but the angel comes to her, comes to him and says, don't do that, son of David. And here are the two paternal actions that Joseph does. He takes Mary to himself to be his wife. We don't stand there. He takes Mary to himself first. And secondly, he names Jesus. Think about that for a minute. If Joseph wouldn't have taken Mary to be his wife, Jesus would not have been a son in the line of David. He would have been a bastard, an illegitimate child. He would not have had any genealogy. Rather, he was brought into the house of Joseph. Secondly, Joseph names Jesus. There's something beautiful and powerful when we name someone or something. We see a pattern in the people of God. When God did a mighty act, God said, create an altar here, and he would name it. Remember when Jacob encountered God Almighty, he said, surely this is the gate of heaven, and he called that place Bethel, the house of God. So Joseph names this son. So not only is he in the line of, of David, the line of Joseph, but he has this name. And what does his name mean? His name means that he will take away the sins of his people. Jesus is the Greek way of saying Yeshua, or like our name, Joshua or Josiah, which means Yahweh saves or Yahweh heals. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Who is this king? The Lord of hosts. He is Jesus. Yeshua. The one who will take away his sins. The sins of his people. When we think about sins, we can think about two things. We can think about like capital S sin. We all have the stain of sin or the depravity of sin is what theologians call it. And that this is something that is part of our nature when we're born. David, the psalmist, the king, the shepherd wrote, surely from my mother's womb I was sinful. So there's this depravity of sin that we have, but there's also the activity of sin that we have to confront and deal with. And so Jesus, this little baby whose birth we're going to celebrate in a couple of days, came to take away this cosmic reality of sin from us and the activity of sin from us. St. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness and brought into his kingdom of light. That we're literally in another existence and we're brought into a place of life. That that, that sin is gone from us. But we still have bodies. We still have sin nature, and so we're going to struggle with the activity of sin. Paul says if you're led by the Spirit of God, then you won't be obligated to the flesh to satisfy its longings and its desires. Jesus came to do cosmic battle with sin. Jesus came to equip us and rescue us as a good shepherd from the activity of sin. And what, I'm, what I don't want you to hear me say is that Jesus came so that we could have Christian behavior modification. 
In other words, I don't like doing this bad thing. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to reward myself for doing something good and not bad. And therefore, I will stop doing this sinful behavior. Jesus came to transform us. The Son of God, the Son of David, came to take away our sins and to transform us. And I want to I teach you a little prayer that I pray a lot. And it's called the Jesus Prayer. And it's very simple. And it's based on a story in the gospel where you had the, the publican, the tax collector, and you had a Pharisee. And the Pharisee had this great long prayer. He probably had robes just like mine. He probably had a, you know unkempt beard like mine. And he probably looked like me. But the Pharisee you know, prayed, Oh, Lord, I'm so glad that I'm not like these other people who cannot tithe, who cannot do these great things, but I can, yada, yada, yada. That's the Pharisee's prayer. You can't yada, yada the Pharisee's prayer. I just did. But then the tax collector, kneeling in shame, cowering, beating his breast, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Jesus prayer is based on not this one, not this guy's prayer, but based on this guy's prayer. And the Jesus prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now you say, Jay, what does that have to do with transformation? What does that have to do with Christmas? We can say the Jesus prayer, like some people in the church have said, as we breathe in, we can say the first part of the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And as we breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. So you're breathing in slowly, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And exhaling slowly, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now you do that three or four times, and you kind of you kind of put your your whole self in a different place. But you do that for a while and you realize that you're present to God in a different way. You're centering your mind, your heart, your whole self, your body. You're centering yourself into this place of mercy. You're, acknowledge, you're doing theology. You're acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who can give mercy, the King of glory. You're asking him for mercy, but what you're also doing, friends, is you're simply kneeling before him. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now as we do that, the Spirit of God does something in us. He brings to our memory mighty works that God has done in our lives that maybe no one else knows about. He'll bring to our memory his holy scriptures. He'll give us hope for a situation that's facing us. Or like Laura mentioned, the anger that we struggle with, that we fight against, the anger that we're so ashamed of, or whatever it is, it's brought out from this darkness inside of us, and it's brought into the light of Christ. And in the light of of the Son of God and of the Son of David, it can be taken away from us and we can let go of it. Guys, Christmas is, is beautiful and cheerful 
and candles, and it's all the things, and it's all the great movies, and I, I adore all those things. But Christmas is about Jesus coming to take away the sin of the world. It's about him beginning a journey in Bethlehem, the house of bread, named place, that's going to end on Golgotha, the place of the skull, that will be fully and finally ended in a garden. Just like the story began in a garden. But it doesn't happen unless the Holy Spirit conceives in the Virgin to give birth to Emmanuel. It doesn't happen unless Emmanuel is in the line of the house of David. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, whatever is inhibiting your peace from ruling and reigning in our hearts, in our lives, we beg you to reveal it to us so that we can offer it to you. Transform us this, these final days of Advent. Transform us this Christmas. Amen.